Hey guys, welcome to Inside and Out with Mike and Nate. Today we have Jonathan Lidskin taking the spot of Nate. The big name for us today is Michael Barron. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm great. So, I kind of want to dive into what's going on with the Mets, right? In the, in the world of baseball, yeah. today was the qualifying uh, offer day. We saw Jake Odorizzi and Abreu... Uh, Except the qualifying offers, everyone else, including Wheeler, didn't. Um, but I think most notably, in terms of how it impacts the Mets, is Will Smith signed a three-year deal with the Braves. I want to I want to know what you thought about how that affects the Mets and kind of the implications of of what happened. Well, I mean, you know, anytime a big name or a big talent signs, you know, in their division. That affects their immediate competition. They have to face the Braves, or uh, an already formidable opponent, 19 times. And you have to figure, you know, the Mets struggled quite a bit short of the last weekend against Atlanta, and this only makes the road to winning the NL East even tougher. And Will Smith is, you know, track record speaks for himself. I mean, he had a, I think he had a rough, uh, rough World Series, um, to say the least. But right. you know, having said that, you know the the larger sample size suggests the Braves got a lot better today, and um, you know, good for them. You know, it would have been nice if the Mets could have gotten in on that, but there are, you know, it's early in the off season. There are plenty of other fish in the sea, and you know, I think Brody has been very clear, you know, out at the GM meetings in particular that the bullpen is a top priority as well as should, because I think we all know that it was the bullpen which. Um, prevented them from getting to the postseason this year. And really, you know, you can point your finger at this or that, but in the end, you know, it was the bullpen. So I think that's going to be a top priority for the club. And, um, you know, at the same time, you can't expect the other teams to not improve. You know, the, the Braves want to win just as badly as, right. you know, the, the Nationals. So, right. you know, it's not unexpected that Braves are doing something about a bullpen a bullpen which was you know also questionable and hurt them in the division series so um you know, it's a good move for them and a good move for that franchise but um you know we'll, we'll see what the Mets ultimately do you know they do have you know they, they do have payroll issues and they haven't even added anybody to replace who they who they're likely to lose so and we'll just have to see you know what markets they're in as the winter moves forward so a kind of a further up on Will Smith AT&T Park is kind of like notoriously known as the 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 pitcher's park of the MLB just because of how uh, how deep it is, right, the outfield. I think in my mind, I think that impact impacted how he pitched. He has a career 3.5 ERA outside of AT&T. Um and when I looked into the projections on FanGraphs, um they showed kind of like a 3.5 ERA around a similar FIP which pretty much pegs him as the fourth best available reliever. Um, do you think that he's going to be able to replicate, you know, what he did? We saw Shane Green uh, join that same Braves club uh, last year, and, and at least initially he struggled immensely. So my question to you is do you think the Mets should look at this and think, man, you know, they just signed the best reliever in the league. We got to really, you know, amp it up, or is this kind of – a middle of the road, maybe, you know, it, it gets to that, like, elite-style reliever? Or, like, how should the Mets, you know, interpret, I guess, the quality of the reliever they're going to be facing? Well, I mean, I think they need 
I always go back to what we talked about, what everybody was talking about, what I, I know I was talking about during spring training, that the Mets were still a bullpen arm short. And, you know, I don't say, you know, like, a, you know, specialist short. They were a swing and miss arm short in the bullpen. That was before they knew um, Edwin Diaz and Jury's Familia would flop. Um, so, you know, having said that, like these, now that they, now that those guys under underperformed and you know obviously underperformed to the point which you know as I said prevented them from getting to the postseason, you know, they still need that big swing and miss arm, you know, for to, to supplement the eighth inning. And the whole goal in today's game is to shorten the game, especially since you know all these starting pitchers are under strict pitch counts. If you get anything more than six innings out of these guys, it's a you know it's a huge bonus. Right. Um, so you have to be able to shorten the game. You do that with swinging this arms late in games. I mean, we you know we see we see time and time again, especially with the Mets since that's the team we watch on a regular basis. You know, we see time and time again that um, these games are won and lost in the seventh or ninth inning. Agreed. So, you know, look no further than Edwin Diaz than 2019. Yeah. What Jerry's familiar and Edwin Diaz were not able to do for that. Right. Um, so, you know. I think it's really important that the Mets, you know, spend what a, a, a good portion of their available payroll space, uh, in, in their available budget, you know, on the bullpen. Because if they do nothing else this winter, let's say they don't replace Todd Frazier, they don't replace, uh, they don't address center field, they don't replace Zach Wheeler, assuming he leaves. If they can shorten that game in the seventh and ninth innings, then it's big they probably buy. Five or six Agreed. Years, I mean, that's a know, big on win paper, on paper, right there. Right. So, um, and then you then you say, okay, well, now we can replace. We'll, we'll replace Zach Wheeler. We're going to get a center field. We're going to get depth. We're going to improve our defense. And you've already and then you're adding to that additional win total right there, which was which an already very good club. I mean, we saw how good this team could be, you know, in the second half of this season when everything is going the way it was planned to go. So. Um, but it's still, it, but that, it's still extremely important that they address that bullpen and invest big dollars in the seventh and eighth innings. That's not to say they will or you know or won't, but I, you know, I don't think there's anyone out there in the entire industry who doesn't think the Mets have to assume that Jerry's Familia and um, Edwin Diaz, you know, won't will, will bounce back. I mean, you have to assume they won't, and you know, hope that they do. And then you, but you, it, in, in doing so. The Mets need to take those dollars and you know get a big. You know, I'm talking about a big arm who can you know who can neutralize off neutralize offenses late in games. You do that by like I keep saying, swinging this swinging this stuff. Yeah, uh, Michael. With all these bullpen arms out here on the market right now, who do you think the guy is that's the ideal fit for the Mets to go after? Yeah, it's it's such a good question. I mean, it's so easy to say who they should go after and who, but you know, it's I, I I'm never good at I, you know I, I stopped I stopped guessing or speculating who they should sign, you know, specifically you know in November you know about eight or nine years ago when I missed the mark on pretty much everybody. So you know, I, at, at this time of year, I pretty much characterize the, the, the kind of pitcher they need, which is you know what I what I just described, but. Um, you know, obviously Smith would have been nice, but that's probably off the table. But like I said, there are a lot of people, there there are a lot of people out there who I might say, yeah, they should sign this guy, and then it's not a good fit. Or 
people disagree. So, I mean, like I said, I just like to characterize what they need, and I hope they do it. Um, and unfortunately, they never seem to do it. But, you know. <laughs> That's um, classic Mets. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's one thing or another being, you know, one thing being money, the other thing being um, I agree. Just talent evaluation. I want to say it's a combination of the two because, you know, look, you know let's, let's look at the trade for – you know, Edwin Diaz, you know, like, like the trade or not, which most people didn't at the time and obviously, you know, are saying, I told you so now, but Edwin Diaz is, was the kind of pitcher to make that bull, to transform that bullpen, which no one could dispute, you know, despite what they gave up to get him and Cano, nobody could dispute that that was, you know, he, he was a money pitcher coming, coming to the Mets. Yeah. And it just didn't work out, you know, so... No, it's it's a funny thing with them, and which is another reason why I don't say, well, they should sign this guy, or then they should sign that guy, because then people recall that tweet that I say after the guy put up a seven ERA or right. whatever, and say, yeah, you thought they should have signed him. So, you know, that's why I like to characterize what they need, and then you know, as names start to, you know, as they start to really narrow their focus, that's when I, you know, that's when I like to say, well, you know, among the, this group of people. You know, I think this would be the best choice, or that would be the best choice. So, right. um, I mean, I think you know when when we see this, you know, the market starts to start to stabilize, and that really I shouldn't say stabilize that where we see the market sort of you know come come into its own, which is you know during the winter meetings. I think that makes it easier to you know characterize specifically who they should sign. But you know, I think Martino, Andy Martino, threw out a name the other day, which you know apparently the Mets are. Mitchell looking at that's Dylan DeChances. I mean, that's one Love guy him. I would say, yeah, they should they should definitely pursue. Um, you know, with injuries aside from last year, right? Um, I think it can come at you know a little bit of a discount, which you know it's good for any team you know looking to sign that guy because there's nothing but upside there, right? Um, I think there are definite health concerns, but and you know that he always he seems to struggle with his velocity, you know, early in, early in the season in the last few years. So I think that that's a concern as well, especially as he gets older, but oh, look, he has a track record and you know, those are the guys you're looking for. You're looking for those big presences you know, those big swing and miss guys, those deceptive guys who can, you know, prevent, prevent people from getting on base and those who are on base prevent them from advancing. And you, like I said, you do that by getting them to swing and miss. So he fits the criteria, you know, as, Right. But I, that could also be one of those November rumors, which you never hear of again. You know, I've been in this, been doing this long enough to know that you know, you know, he could sign anywhere. And you know, rumors right now are you know very much you know that, and not a lot of substance to it. Right. Um. And I, in adding on to that, you know, I think there's a certain type of pitcher that flourishes in New York, and we see it in Degrom, and we see it in Syndergaard, and that's why he kind of got to hold on to that. Um. But I, I feel like, you know, pitching in New York is is different than anywhere else. Um, and that's kind of why I don't think Mets fans are as surprised as, you know, I think another team would, that kind of Edwin Diaz just seemed to flop on them. And I think that the pressures of the media and, and all the, you know, the added tension from pitching in New York, it's just, it, it's a it's a whole different ball game I think. And that's why I think at Dylan Batances, he might be one of the best options for the Mets. Um, and I yeah, think... I agree. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, I think... I, I, don't, I don't know that... I, I think saying, you know, I, I, don't, I don't buy into the narrative 
you know, with Diaz and New York, I think that's an easy escape. But, you know, I do think you have a point in when it comes to the chances because he's a known quantity in New York. He's no known quantity in the ultimate baseball pressure cooker, which that would that being uh, Yankee Stadium. Right. So you know that you know what you're going to get from that perspective. I agree. And I think that does value. And I, you know, I said that a lot about you know, Carlos Beltran. What you know, he knew how to. He's played in that building. You know, he knows how to deal with ownership. He knows how to deal with the media, and that that alone made him stand out among the other candidates. You know, for manager. So the same can be said for any player. You know, especially that which played for the Yankees. Um, but you know, like I said, you know, it, it's one of those they're kicking the tires on Dylan Batanz's rumors. You know, really. You know, they're interested. You know, I'm interested in buying a Ferrari. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Right. So. <laughs> You just have to see how that plays out. Like it's, it's it's so easy to get excited, but I think you have to get excited at the notion that the Mets aren't just looking at piecing this bullpen together. You know, they're looking for a lot of you know really a third arm to play with Diaz and Familia. And look, you know, they have to hope Familia and Diaz bounce back. You know, it doesn't matter who they sign. If Familia and Diaz don't bounce back, they're going to have the same problem they exactly. last year, regardless of who they sign. Right. So. Um, you know, like I said, you know, we just have to see how that plays out. But I think it's nice to hear this early that Brody is, you know, thinking you know big when it comes to that roster spot. That's very important for them. Agreed. Yeah, Michael, you mentioned Carlos Beltran, and now the last couple of days, this whole sign ceiling thing with the Astros from 2017 comes out, and obviously Carlos Beltran was on the Astros at that at that time that that was going on. Do you think? him being the now manager of the Mets that affects the team or him in any specific way? Well, you know, it's a good question. Um, you know, when I when I saw that this morning or whenever I saw it, I immediately thought, well, that's not great news for the Mets, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, I think, you know, I don't write the checks, as I say, but, you know, my immediate reaction is, you know, you have to see what MLB's investigation um, results results in when it comes to Beltran. And, you know, the same can be said with Boston and Alex Cora. Um, you have to see what it means, um, what the extent of, you know, really, really, you know, it's really, this operation was, you know, and what, what their involvement with, I mean, it's imp- what their involvement was, I mean, it's impossible to, and unfair to immediately react one way or another as far as Carlos Beltran's concerned. I mean, you know, if he is involved in a cheating scandal, like, it's not cool. You know, it's not right, it's not good. And I don't think, you know, anyone in the Mets organization would say, like, yeah, this is fine, you know. So, um, you know, again, like, it really just depends on what the level of involvement, the level of, you know, detail that they were involved with here. Um, And I think... You know, I, I think you can certainly expect Carlos Beltran to say something about it at some point. You know, especially once you know the facts, you know the facts come out. And, you know, let's let's just hope you know as a as a group that you know, the facts set him free, the truth sets him free. Right. And you know, if not, look, he's going to have a lot of explaining to do. And you know, the Mets are going to have to figure out how to handle this from a PR perspective as well. I mean, this is a very unique and unusual situation. Um, you know, I mean, I can. I don't think, you know, there's anyone on the planet that would, you know, ever, you know, 
what's the word I'm looking for, that would ever say Carlos Beltran's a bad guy and isn't a winner and isn't good for any organization that he's in. But, you know, you know, if he's, you know, if he has in fact been involved in these, in something, you know, bad like this, which, you know, it is, it's not good. Um, you know, everybody makes mistakes and let's just hope that, you know, let's just hope that if, you know, the, tr- the, the, the facts, you know, are very suggestive of, bad behavior that he owns it and he takes responsibility for it like you know the professional that he is um so it, like I, I've looked into it right and Carlos Beltran has now downplayed you know that type of cheating going on twice which if proven incorrect you know like there's been videos of it happening um and there was an athletic article posted last night that pretty much said Carlos Beltran played a key role was the quote in in what was going on it, and, I, and I recently read a tweet that said, you know, it could get to the extent where he's removed his manager before the season even starts. Now, I thought that was kind of extreme. Do you think there's any way that actually happens, or is that kind of an, you know, an outrageous take? Well, I mean, it depends what this, like, what, what's, what's going to determine any action that's taken on Beltran, whether it's by the league, the Astros, or the Mets, or all three. This, you know, is what this investigation results in. Um, Look, if he did something that's like, you know, deeply violates the ethics and you know morals clause of his contract at the time, and um, you know, then that's all have a decision to make. Um, that's just that's just the truth. Right. I, I don't think the Mets are going to sit and wait for you know wait for things to transpire and come out. I think the Mets, you know, it would be in their best interest to, you know at least, you know, come up with a contingency plan. I mean, let's just face it. This isn't, you can't, you can't sit around and wait for things to happen, you know, because if they need to find another manager, they have to already be taking steps in that direction. So, um, you know, I don't, I, it's so hard to say, like, what's going to happen right. from all this with Carlos Beltran. I, I expect Carlos Beltran's going to stand in front of a podium at some point in the near future and, apologize for all this and own it and um you know and if, if no matter what you know he's gonna have to do that but you know, to what extent this affects his managerial job with the Mets like you know talk, ask me in a week you know I, I don't know like it's so hard to say really like, I don't want to say like you know he deserves to lose his job when I you know I don't have all the information I mean you know, I can personally speak to the quality of the investigative process, you know, at Major League Baseball, and you know they're going to do a thorough job, and they're for better or for worse, they're going to get the truth out, and you know you're all going to know about it when they have it, um, you know, and you know let's just hope that you know if if Carlos Beltran you know was you know did something really terrible that you know he's able to own it, and he doesn't you know and apologize for it and you know we hope that it doesn't really have an impact here um but we'll just have to see how it plays out okay um i kind of want to move on to um i i guess like let's start off just with internally and what the mets can do your tweet was after beltron was hired you said the mets now get the manager hire out of the way and the focus is on the roster they need bullpen 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 starting pitching starting pitching depth perhaps an outfielder improved speed and defense and Carlos Beltran isn't fixing that part, which I very much agree on. Um, you know, David Peterson kind of has been 
you know, rumbling, obviously not like Pete Alonso of last year, but there is certainly some hype as to, you know, whether, you know, what he can do next year. My question is, I don't think Matt's really did anything to solidify his job as, as the starting pitcher five in the rotation. Right now it would be starting pitcher four. Is there any way David Peterson kind of surpasses Matt's in the rotation or Matt's gets moved to the bullpen or, you know, like what's the impact you think David Peterson can make on this major league roster in 2020? Well, I don't think he is, I don't think at least at this point in time, there's, you know, he's going to, um, he's going to push Stephen Matz aside. Um, I, I think Stephen Matz, I mean, he's outstanding in the second half. I mean, he is what he is, right? He's a number three, number four starter at this point, you know, but I think he, really, you know, he was demoted to the bullpen just before the all-star break. Right. You know, I think that sort of woke him up a little bit. Um, it's not to say that, you know, he's a head case or, you know, he has issues, but, you know, I think he was struggling and you're struggling and struggling, but then, you know, he was demoted to the bullpen, perhaps you realize, like, hey, you know, I don't really have a lot of job security right now. Yeah. And I think he pitched so much better in the second half. And he was a huge reason why they were even able, even in the discussion for the wild card. So I, I think his job is good for now. I, You know, they don't have a lot of starting pitching depth, you know, to begin with. So, um, you know, but I do think people like David Peterson and just the younger pitchers in general who are in the system – you know, I think that impacts certainly, you know, how they might go about replacing Zach Wheeler, which, you know, assuming, you know, they're not able to retain him. I think they're going to look in, you know, the one- to two-year contract, you know, range for for a replacement. And that, you know, that's where maybe someone like Rick Porcello or Wade Miley might, you know, come into play because that might be their market at this point. And I think that affords them, the Mets, the flexibility you know, number one, to make sure Peterson or and you know anyone you know anyone in the pipeline for that matter, you know, can properly develop without a lot of noise of them. You know, you know, pining, aiming for a roster spot immediately, and it also, you know, at, well at the same time, if any of the, whoever they're going to sign, which I mean, you can count on them signing somebody. Yeah. You know, to certain at a minimum, they're going to sign depth at a. But I certainly expect them to, you know, be in you know the twelve to thirteen million dollar range for that for that Zach Wheeler replacement. But you know, if any of them were to falter, you know, that's you know that would you know that certainly opens the door for those guys. But it also, in a way, alleviates pressure going into camp and starting out, you know, starting the season out, you know, with you know knowing that like okay, there's really no chance they're going to be on the roster. You know, go pitch and go earn your spot. And, um, you know, so I think that's going to be the direction. But, you know, like I said, you know, I think it will, you know, the they're not going to sign anyone to a four- or five-year deal because they don't want to cripple anyone's anyone's ceiling, so to speak. So um, I think you can expect them to, that, and that's why I say, you know, if they can't sign Wheeler, which I honestly don't expect them to, um, I think that's where, you know, a veteran like Porcello or Miley, I think those are very good fits for them. And I, like I said, I hate to name people, but those are the kinds of players I think you can expect them to be interested in for that roster spot. Michael, um, so in the past year since Brody Van Wagen's taken the Mets job, he's been 
sort of very committed to winning. He went out and traded for Diaz and Cano, and then at the at the trade deadline, he went, goes and trades for Stroman. So with the limited like money space that the Mets have right now, do you believe that the owners should dig into their pockets a little and allow Brody to, start, to go over the luxury tax to fulfill his commitment to winning? No, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can't say, you know, we're – we're deeply committed to winning the way Brody has, and even Jeff Wolfon has said recently. And you can't say that, but then also say, well, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, pay fair market value for talent that you need to in order to fulfill that 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 promise, um, and that commitment, and that, you know, and that, and you know, things like that. So, um, I do think they should go over. I, I think there's, you know, one key reason why I think they should go over right now, and that's because. You know, there's a lot of money coming off the books in after the 2020 season. That includes UNS Espinosa and David Wright, which equates to what is it? Let's call it you know 47 million dollars of yeah. dead money. Mm-hmm. Right? They're, those are two players, at least as of this as of this date, you know, aren't playing at the moment. And you're paying 47 million dollars for that towards the luxury tax. So, um, you know, I absolutely think you know, especially at a 20 percent at a 20% penalty, you know, of the overage, there's no question they should be willing to go over it for the first year. Um, that's not to say they should go over it for the second year, but because um, I don't believe, I, I don't believe there are many teams out there that should, that should. but um, I think it's a worthy gamble to try and win a championship in 2020 and with this, with, with this core roster, um, you know, by going over just a little bit because, you know, let's say so. The luxury tax is two hundred eight million. If they go to if they if they raise their luxury tax payroll to two hundred twenty eight million, first of all, they're not spending two hundred twenty eight million. They're probably spending closer to one hundred ninety, one hundred ninety five million. Call it. Yeah. If they raise the luxury tax payroll to two twenty eight, then they're twenty million over. So it's a four million dollar tax. Well, as we all know, they recoup money in insurance for David Wright. They recoup money in insurance for. Um, UNSS, they deferred quite a bit of money in Jacob DeGrom's mm-hmm. long-term contract. So there should be dollars dollars available, immediately available to them to pay for that overage and then some. Um, but, you know, it's like I keep saying on Twitter, it's like, it's far be it for me to tell someone how to spend their money. I mean, it's easy for me to tell Jeff Wilpon, hey, you should spend that four or five million dollars. But, um, look, I think there's a, cost, there's, there's, there's a price to emission. And you know, if you want, if you want to see it at the table in October, given the current state of the payroll, given the current state of the farm system, and that there, there's not another Pete Alonso coming up, there's not another Jacob Degrom coming up, they're going to have to go out and invest in free agents and take some risks. Um, that's not to say they should do something stupid. That's not to say that they should go forty or fifty million dollars over the luxury tax. That's not to say that they should put themselves in a position where they're potentially going over that luxury tax again in 2021. But I think the short-term risk to the luxury tax payroll is worth the potential reward because, like I said before, I think we all know how good this roster is. I mean, the Mets were as good as any team in baseball. And that's, just, I mean, you just look at the win totals from you know the All-Star break on. You know, they were as good as any team in baseball. That includes the Nationals, the Dodgers, the Yankees, yeah. the Astros. You know, so like, why wouldn't they want to build on that? They have an opportunity right now to win a World Series, you know, which you know, and so they should go for it. There's no debating it. There's, and there's, I don't see how, even if they half-ass it, 
I don't still don't see how they don't go over the luxury tax threshold. They're already at, you know, if you don't add anybody else and you don't replace you know, Zach Wheeler and Todd Frazier and any free agent, they're already at 190 to 192 at the with the luxury tax payroll. So like, that means they have 16 million dollars before they're you know, before they go over it. Well, you know, they can get a mid rotation starter for 16 million dollars. So there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I kind of want to outline like certain aspects of what the Mets are going to do this offseason. I'm going to kind of read a few tweets off and, and kind of get your take from it. Mike Puma of the New York Post said, My understanding is the Mets' two criteria for a center fielder at this point is it has to be someone better than Nimmo defensively in a right-handed bat. Um, and, you know, in terms of the free agents uh, at the position, I would consider it a pretty weak uh, free agent class at, at, at in center field, uh, names like Marte come out and Betts come out, um, and, and this kind of, you know, this whole thing incorporates a few, you know, uh, questions for me. A is Dom Smith involved in these trades? B uh, Marte's defense statistically kind of fell off a little bit. Uh, it was it was a pretty drastic drop off. Is that something the Mets should think about? Um, and, and what do you think about, I guess, I want to focus more on Starling Marte because it's a little bit more, you know, possible than I would say bets. But what do you think about Marte? Well, look, I mean, Brady was clear the other night out in Arizona or wherever these GM meetings are that, you know, improving the defense is a top priority. And, um, you know, center field immediately comes to mind. Why is that? Because when you look at the advanced metrics on Michael Conforto, and you look at the advanced metrics on um, Brandon Nimmo in center field, their defense was just you know flat out unacceptable. So now that brings me to Starling Marte. Starling Marte can play center field, right? He's a right-handed bat, so that kind of fits those two bolts. But does he fit the improved defense bullet? Does he does he check that box? As I like to say, and the answer to the question is. point in time and the Mets have plenty of those so you know I don't think I I don't think ultimately someone like Marte is an ideal fit for them you know at this point in the offseason now if they lose out on other ideal targets and you know they're unable to you know sign any of those guys and then yeah maybe they do consider a trade for someone like Marte but that shouldn't be their plan their 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 the plan A, so to speak, because that doesn't really that doesn't really improve the defense in center field the way they need to improve. Um, it's not an easy fix because there aren't a lot of center fielders out there. But um, you know that's that's one of the key positions in, on the diamond that can um, play a big role in run prevention, and that's what they're looking to accomplish. So. I think Brody's going to have to get a little bit more creative than someone like Starling Marte for that position. So I got three more questions for you. Is that okay, or you want to cut it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so Brody recently spoke, said they're targeting a veteran defensive catcher to complement Ramos. My, you know, I don't really know exactly what they're trying to do here. I thought Nito played fairly well on defense. His metrics all had him above every single single uh, free agent defensive catcher with the exception of Grandal. So 
you know, why is this something that they're pursuing? And does this take them out of the Grand Dahl sweepstakes or no? Well, I don't, I don't really think there were ever, there was ever any realistic shot of them signing Grandel. I mean, there's, look, the Mets offered Grandel, and the, and the reason I say that is because the Mets offered Grandel a big contract last year. And he, he basically walked away from an opportunity to get long, uh, that long-term deal in New York. You know what that tells me? That tells me Grandel really didn't want New York. And so, um, you know, if you, if you look at the situation right now, they're probably saying, you know, they're they're they're, they're going to stick with Wilson Ramos and not pursue Grandel probably because they think they don't think they can sign Grandel. It's you know, signability is very important. You know, I always say I always say that it takes two to tango. So it's easy for the Mets for you know just the base to say, oh yeah, well the Mets should sign Grandel. The Mets should sign Grandel. Well, it takes two to tango, and you know, just like what I said, you know. What I just said about Randall, maybe Randall just doesn't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's certainly, certainly rejecting a four-year, $60 million contract offer and instead taking a one-year, uh, you know, one-year free agent offer elsewhere suggests that hey, maybe he just doesn't want to be here. And so they probably, they, they probably just don't think they can, they can find him. And, um, they probably also don't want to, you know, they, they, you have to assume they're going, if they were able to sign him or re-engage him and get him on a, on a, on a, get him here on a similar deal, that they'd be stuck with Wilson Ramos, and they probably don't want to pay the catcher position, you know, upwards of $40 million, or 30 to $40 million right. next season. So, you know, that plays a role into it, too. Um, you know, Wilson Ramos is an easiest player to trade because he's a one-dimensional player. I mean, he's a, you know, he proved to be a huge offensive force for them last year after a slow start. But you know, with with, with defense being emphasized so much, you know, he's a difficult chip to trade because no one wants a starting catcher who's you know more or less incompetent defensively. So. Um, you know, the, the Mets are just going to have to, you know, figure out how to make the most out of Wilson Ramos, which is why they're probably looking at um, a defensive-minded catcher. Now, you asked the question before. Well, you know, Nito, you know, Nito seems to, you know, to, to check all those boxes. Well, yeah, but he doesn't hit very much, and so they're probably looking to diminish Wilson Ramos's role. And but they can only do that if they can find a defensive upgrade who can also hit a little bit. Okay. And that's probably the mindset there. Michael, you mentioned that Wilson, um, excuse me, Yasmani Grandal might just not want to be with the Mets, but my, my question is, why wouldn't you want to sign with a team like the Mets located in a big city like New York? It's a great, great city in the U.S. Why, why would you want to be anywhere else? Well, I mean, the beauty is in the eye of the right? I mean, you know, we may, it's, it's easy for us to say, oh, well, why wouldn't you want to come here and try and win in New York and get a trip up to Canyon Euros? I mean, you know, maybe if you, there's some people who say, you know, Miami is nice, you know, or, um, you know, I, I kind of like playing in Milwaukee, or, you know, I'd rather be in L.A., you know, I like the weather better, you know, it, it could be anything, you know, it's, it's a matter of personal preference, and and maybe, you know, during the recruitment process, something rubbed in the wrong way about the Mets. Like, you just don't know. You know, there's there's so many things you just don't know about about the process. And um, it's a very, you know, it's from, from, from our side of the fence, 
you know, I, I think it's an underappreciated process. I mean, these people are, you know, as, as rich as the Mets could make someone like Grandel, and as much security as the Mets can provide someone like Grandel, you know, like I said, it's easier said than done. And if there's, you know, if there's something you just didn't like about New York or whatever, I mean, that's all it takes, and he's not interested. And so, you know, it is what it is. There are a lot of players out there who just don't want to deal with it. I mean, it's a lot to deal with, especially when you struggle. You know, when you struggle in New York, you got to be in front of that camera every day owning it. And that's sometimes very difficult. Right. Um, I, I wanted to kind of transition a little bit into coaching, um, specifically bench and pitching coach. For bench coach, they've interviewed uh, Jerry Naren and Freddie Gonzalez. Um, and recently, yes, last night, Mike Puma reported that the Mets are interested in Joey Cora, the brother of Alex, uh, who's current, who currently holds a role on the Pirates. In addition to this, Hefner, Jeremy Hefner, former Met, and Chris Fetter are interviewing for pitching coach. Uh, you know, do you want the Mets to head in a more analytical direction? Um, and, and kind of what's your take? Is there any coach you specifically think the Mets should target in terms of bench or pitching? What do you think? Well, I like the concept of Jeremy Hefner. Um, I mean, I think, and I, 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 can, I, can only, I only say that, I think, because, you know, he's really, we know him, you know, as yeah. you know, we, we came to know him when he was, you know, pitching here. And, you know, he's, He's an A plus guy, um, you know, and he's certainly well regarded for his analytical approach to pitching. Um, but you know, I, I think the pitching coach role is—I mean, in the Mets case, he has a bench coach role—is important too. But I think the pitching coach role, you know, we saw how important that can be. I mean, you know, look at how the Mets pitching staff evolved and transformed. You know, once you know they got a different voice in there just this summer with Bill Regan. So, um, you know, and I so. But it's you know it's difficult to say you know who knows how the you know, it, you know we we always say like this coach would be great that coach would be great in the end it's about the talent on the field right so um, in, in large measure anyway but I think you know certainly you know Jeremy Hefner would bring you know a different element you know a more analytical element to the you know to that part of the roster that they haven't seen a lot of you know over the course of the last few years. Um, but I also think, you know, when it comes to the bench coach, um, I think what's important is to get some experience and, you know, a, you know, a, a weathered voice, so to speak, next to um, Carlos Beltran. And I think Freddie Gonzalez would be, you know, a really great fit. I mean, he's a, he's a bigger personality than someone like Riggleman um, was to Mickey Calloway. You know, he's, you know, yeah, obviously has a very strong track record as a manager and a coach. And I think that you'd be, provide a lot of value to the Mets, the Mets dugout. Um, you know, I said it a lot, you know, when um, the Mets lost Bob Guerin to the Dodgers after the 2015 season, they, you know, Dick Scott was Terry Collins, um, was Der- Terry Collins' right-hand man. And I, I said it at that time, I think the Mets really, you know, the Mets were suffering as a result of that loss. And so I do think in this case where Beltran, you know, has no experience, you know, you certainly have to get a guy with experience who can, you know, correct him on the fly. You know, he's going to need that. And I think Freddie Gonzalez or Jerry Naron would both, you know, fill that role nicely. All right. Um, Michael, this is our last question. So um, it's more more personal for us. So you've written for SMY and MLB.com. So we'd like to know, as young pa- podcasters, how would you recommend we get involved in school and even outside of school to get our names out there in the sports industry? 
that's a good question. Um, I would say, at least at this point in time, I mean, you have the power of social media, you know, in your pocket, literally. That with your ability to write or create the kind to create content, you know, pretty much at will, you know, you should you should use that to your advantage and just write and you know create your audio content or your video content. Use Twitter to promote it. Engage yourself in the conversation as much as you can, and that's really how you build you know the reputation and um, really the recon- you know the, the the name recognition more than anything. Um, but you have to keep at it, even when it seems like, you know, no one's listening or no one's reading. You know, you have to operate in a manner where you assume you have a, a 30,000 person audience, you know, at any given moment. And um, the only way to do that is to, you know, be professional, be con- be consistent. And like I said, stick to it, even, you know, even when things aren't looking great. So um, that's the key advice, key bit of advice I would give anybody. All right, thank you. We really appreciate that. Well, that does it for this episode of Inside and Out with Mike and Nate. I want to thank Jonathan Lidskin and a huge thanks to Michael Barron for joining us today. For Jonathan Lidskin, I'm Michael Marino, and thanks for tuning in.